One plus one equals something new. And today's guest, Joseph Tychonovich, the young plant breeder, is going to tell us about some of the new things he's been working on in his garden right here on Ken Drew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show. Over the years, we've presented young gardeners who are still excited about our passion and optimistic about the future. One of those people is plant breeder, writer, and speaker Joseph Tychonovich, whose journey into the plant world started when he was about five years old, and his mother asked him what he wanted for his birthday, and his answer was plants and seeds. And I'll tell you, not much has changed since then. Joseph has worked at the lovely display gardens at Ohio State and in Japan for the famed nurseryman Akira Shimamichi. He is currently a Ph.D. student at Michigan State University, He's the creator of a popular blog, Green Sparrow Gardens, and you can see a link on the Ken Drews Real Dirt website, the radio and podcast website, kendrews.com. And his blog includes everything from rare plants to scientific explanations and the things that are interesting him at this very moment, and we're going to talk about some of those. We've talked about plants that he's been working on. He's uh, inventing hybrids and discovering plants that might have potential for American gardens. And that includes a petunia species, Petunia exerta. And he's introduced that plant, which has a star-shaped flower and is bright red, lacquer red, through Annie's Annuals in California, which is a place that people in Northern California go to buy all their annuals and perennials, little baby plants, but also it's a mail order source. And we're going to have a link on the website to Annie's Annuals and to the Petunia. And I'll have a picture of that Petunia and uh, maybe a picture of Joseph, too, on the website. So you can check that out. And you'll be able to listen to my interview with Joseph Tychonovich just about now. I'm speaking with Joseph Tychonovich. Um, That's right. <laughs> I heard a rerun of your first appearance on the public radio show, The Splendid Table, last week. And uh, I, th I think you were born with chlorophyll in your veins. Yeah, I, it definitely seems like it. It's one of those things I never chose. It just sort of was there. The thing that I was always interested in was plants and growing them. So. Yeah, green in your veins. I wish it was money. I wish we were born with that. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> Where's that silver spoon? When you I don't it? know. <laughs> right. You have to pick your parents more carefully. Right. <laughs> Uh, now, you, you were breeding a tomato for Lynn Rosetto Casper, and how'd that go? Are you still developing a tasty tomato for her? Yeah, I'm still working on that. It's a kind of a, a long, ongoing process, so she got to, you know, taste um, some of the early um, variety, first generation, and decide which ones she liked best, um, and then I have to grow on more generations to kind of stabilize the variety to get something that's going to be consistent. Um, each year. So um, I'm growing the next generation right now in my garden, and pretty soon I'll be tasting through those and, you know, deciding what to carry on again to the next generation. So she tasted the first generation. Now, well, that, or second generation. Yeah, that's what I was yes, wondering. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the first generation doesn't usually show what we're looking for. So that right. was so you, the grandchildren she tasted. Right, right. First generation <laughs> is going to be all the same, and then the second generation is when you see all the variability and the, the really that's that's the best part but you see all this crazy different stuff and you get to look you know whether it's flowers or food you know you get to look at all the diversity and taste it and look at it and decide what you like best that's my favorite part of the whole process actually 
you have to have patience. I mean, doing it with vegetables and, and annuals is, is, I was going to say bad enough, takes long enough. <laughs> <laughs> but people who do it with trees, <laughs> with yeah, flowering trees, trees. That's a long time to wait to see see your results. But, you know, it's, you know, we talk about oh, it takes six years to develop a vegetable variety, but there's there's something happening every year. It's not like, you know, it takes, you know, six years to create a garden too but it's you know there's exciting stuff all along the right. way so it's definitely isn't it like you're standing there with your arms crossed tapping your toe <laughs> right <laughs> waiting waiting, waiting. okay it's happens. the only thing right it's raining <laughs> snowing where is that tomato right well it is, yeah go ahead it is definitely that that moment when you know that first flower bud or whatever is sitting there waiting to open it's like every morning going out and is it open yet is it open yet because we want to see what it looks like it's like when you when you sell the seeds and you go check them <laughs> once an hour <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> are they up are they up yep are they up. dead <laughs> right <laughs> well I, I heard that you sent some seeds uh, for a species petunia to annie's annuals and i want you to tell me about that species and where did the seeds come from so, um, this, yeah, it's really interesting, this petunia, um, petunia exerta, um, which is really unique because it's the only of the wild petunias that's actually pollinated by hummingbirds. So the other Ooh. petunias are pollinated by bees and moths, um, but this one's humming, hummingbirds, so of course it has you know, the red color and everything that we associate with a hummingbird-pollinated plant. Um, and it's kind of cool because the species was only described in science in 1987, so they haven't even known this existed for, you know, that long, but, <laughs> you know, I was, when I was, you know, born, it, it didn't know that it existed. Um, and it's only known in this one little population in Brazil, in this one tiny locale. I think there's like less than a hundred individuals. Um, oh, really? Yeah. It's, it's this tiny little population. Um, so, you know, scientists found it and seeds have been kind of moving around in scientific circles for a while. Um, and I got it from a friend of mine who was doing a research project. He was doing his master's degree on drought tolerance and petunias, and we're looking at some of the species. So he had some growing in the greenhouse and ran some tests on it. And when the experiment was done, he's like, oh, I have these plants. Do you want to take them home? I'm like, sure, I'll, you know, I'll take it home and stick it in the garden. And so I'd had it for a few years. And then um, from that, and then that's, you know, when I was talking to um, Annie Hayes, um, of Annie's annuals about it. She's like, oh, yeah, we sent us some seeds. We'd love to grow it. So I sent them out to her to, to give it a try. And um, I think their first crop like sold out already. So I guess oh. it was a, pr a pretty good hit for them. Um, well, so you haven't seen the hummingbird, I guess, that's associated with this particular flower. Yeah, I'm sure it's a different species than the hummingbirds that we have here, but definitely sure. our, our, our ruby-throateds um, are very fond of it. They're on it all the time in my garden. So it's... Uh, it's definitely nice. Well, it's funny. I saw a picture of it uh, on <laughs> Annie's website, and it was bright red. And I, I always think of petunias and moths I, uh, because the white ones right. in the evening have wonderful fragrance. Some people don't right. even know that they have a fantastic fragrance, and some of the petunias don't even have a fragrance until evening. Right. But this is a – now you've answered my question. <laughs> it's a different <laughs> pollinator. And you were, right, yeah. So did you save the seeds from that plant, or did it self-sow? Um, it self-sows um, you know, reliably for me in my garden, yeah. I, do, I have saved seeds as well, obviously, so I can share them with other people. But yeah, it self-sows, not like obnoxiously. It's not become a weed, which is always um, 
which is always good. <laughs> That's the danger with the self-sowers. Like, I'd like it to self-sow, but I don't want it to take over the entire garden. Um, but it kind of seeds around and has been unreliable for me for um, a few years now. So, mm. uh, Do you have other petunias growing nearby? I do. I have a few. I've started growing species petunias, um, uh, which has been interesting because the petunias that we, you know, you see at your garden center or the big box stores have been bred beyond recognition almost. Right. You know, the fragrance is gone. They've been, you know, bred to be super short and compact so they can be shipped well and all those all those things that make them a great industrial crop for the, you know, the big um, box stores and everything. And the species have a much looser kind of open growth habit, which I like in my garden, you know, it kind of makes it a little more informal. Um, and again, as you're saying, the fragrance of the moth pollinated ones, especially in the evening is, is really very nice. Well, uh, I was heading in a direction asking you if you grew other ones, which I, uh, cause I wondered whether there was some hybrid hybridization going on accidentally. None accidentally. There's some intentional hybridization. Oh, going tell on me about that. <laughs> no, I mean um, with the petunia, with that red petunia. Yeah, with the with red petunia, I haven't I haven't seen um, I haven't seen accidental crosses. I have made crosses with the um, the other species that I have just because I'm obsessed and, <laughs> and I make crosses with everything that I grow. Um, so yeah, I, I made a cross between. Um, uh, Petunia axillaris, which is the you know the very fragrant white-flowered moth-pollinated species, and then Exerta, the red species. Um, so I have the second generation of that growing this year, um, and it's been fun. It's a whole range of pinks, um, and some of them are fragrant and some of them are not. So I'm going to try to pick out the fragrant ones and keep those around and see what happens with that. So, so if you wanted to develop that and keep it, uh, or you know make it come from seed, I guess you would be developing a strain in some isolation uh, so that you'd get the true seeds every year in its third or fourth generation. Yeah, I mean, to keep it, to get something that's going to really come true from seed reliably, you'd have to, the rule of thumb is the sixth generation in isolation from other things. I kind of like, I mean, I don't think this is something that has like commercial potential or whatever, probably something I just grow in my garden because it's fun. Um, and I like the diversity. I like, you know, the fact that they're, they're a range of different colors. Um, I'd like them to all be fragrant. Um, so I kind of, I'm okay with them not being super uniform, which is what, you know, commercial cultivars have to be super uniform to right. be marketable. But in my garden, I like stuff that's a little unpredictable and natural because I'm not a big formal straight lines kind of gardener. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you had to give this some uh, sexy commercial name, what would you name uh, the the species or maybe the results of the species. Have you ever thought about that? Have I thought about what? I'm sorry that you're breaking up there for a second. Oh, I was wondering whether you thought about giving it a sexy commercial moniker. <laughs> oh, there we go. Yeah, I could. <laughs> you know, like Red something. Star Petunia or something. Yeah, that's true. That would be a good marketing marketing ploy, but I, have not, <laughs> I don't know. Well, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> so tell, I like tell me, to stick with the Latin. <laughs> I know, I know, but they look at us so funny. Uh, right. Tell me some of the other things that you're hybridizing, that you're working with. Still doing roses, I imagine. I am doing roses a little bit. Um, I kind of, I hadn't been breeding them for a while, and this year I, I suddenly got the bug again and made a lot of crosses this year. Um, and I have a seedling, actually, that I am so excited about and very impatiently waiting for it to flower. Um are you familiar with Rosa Glauca? Mm -hmm. 
has the beautiful like uh, silvery like that bluish glaucous foliage and then like a red tones into it just a beautiful foliage rose mm -hmm. um but it, and it's kind of a you know a nice shrub the flowers you hardly even notice because they're very small and um and i have a seedling this year that the foliage looks just like that and i'm very very excited about and based on the parents i'm expecting um nice fragrance when it actually flowers so i'm that's one of those things I'm checking every hour to right. see what's up. <laughs> has it got a bud yet? Has it got a bud yet? So, um, so, so it's going to have plum, kind of plum blue foliage or plum purple foliage. And, mm -hmm. and what do you expect the flower to be like, look like? Based, based on the siblings, it's siblings from the same cross that have already flowered. It's probably going to be in a pink, like a dark pink. Um, and and everything else from that cross has been extremely fragrant, which is great. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, I'd love it to be. I don't know, and, and I would think like a pale yellow against that would be nice. But um, it's pretty exciting because it would be fun, even if the flower color isn't the perfect contrast to that foliage, to to then use it in other breeding to try to bring other flower colors to put against that that gorgeous those gorgeous leaves. Would be wonderful. That a whole yeah. line would be great. I'm speaking with fun. Joseph Tykonovich. And he is a plant breeder and a writer and a speaker and uh, a young, if you don't mind me saying that, a young <laughs> plantsman. And uh, you're listening to Kendrew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show. Thank you for staying with us. I'm speaking to Joseph Tykonovich, and he is a young plant breeder. And plays around with plants all the time. I think he's got chlorophyll in his blood, in his bloodstream. And uh, he's been developing some petunias in the garden and always working with roses. And I hear through the through the cilantro vine, <laughs> through the grapevine, <laughs> okay. that uh, you've, you've discovered, or maybe other people, I'm sure other people have tried this too, but uh, not only do you eat the cilantro leaves but you know cilantro when it when those fruits ripen the seeds are coriander but right. you're not letting them ripen tell me about what's going on with that yeah so um when the before the seeds are mature and brown there's this stage where they're green um called green coriander seeds and they are i mean i love cilantro and i love coriander but this is absolutely my favorite stage of this plant to eat um the flavor is very cilantro like um but it's so hard to describe flavors very bright very um, almost fruity to it it's it's very delicious and now i hardly harvest my cilantro i just wait for it to bolt so i can <laughs> get at the green seeds boy most people just rip it out <laughs> which is what i had done for years i never i never had you know i thought oh well it's, it's bolted now and i'll you know i'll replant or whatever and then i don't remember where i read about it searching for recipes or something and i stumbled upon it and now i'm a convert so I'm trying to spread the word. Everybody, don't don't pull out your cilantro when it bolts, because that's the best part. Wow. So is it kind of crunchy? They are crunchy. They have a little bit of a pop to them, um, but you know they're very small. But they're also but the the flavor is really nice. Um, I'm putting it in salsas and all kinds of fun stuff. So so you're taking the seeds out of the fruit, or no, you it's eat the, the whole, whole thing? Fruit. Yeah. It's yeah. So the whole it's a little um, inflorescence. It looks almost like Queen Anne's lace when it flowers. You know, white sort of um, umble, and then each little flower forms like a little green sphere. I'm trying to think how to describe them. Like you know, if you've seen a coriander seed, it looks like that, just smaller, yeah. green. Um, 
Yeah, so they don't have to like clean off any outer food or cover or anything. It's just no, the it whole, sounds great. whole structure. Yeah, they're really wow. great. And you could use that raw, as you said, or you could throw it. In, well, you could throw it into soups. That would be kind of cool yeah, to have something pop in the soup. Soups. Yeah, it's very nice in soups. I made like a kale um, soup and some of it in there that was just really good. I'm or, kind of putting in everything right now. <laughs> well, and if, if we dare to turn on the stove, <laughs> right. with the weather it does, yeah. then you could stir fry, but uh, stir fry in the grill maybe. <laughs> yeah, right outside where it's not so hot. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I, I you sent me a note and you said didn't want you weren't ready to talk about the new mums, but tell me some of the things that you have seen or that you think are coming uh, that are interesting you. You mean about the, the moms or other oh, plants? Oh, anything. Sure, anything. Any, okay, well, well, maybe we'll talk about the moms because I'm so excited about them. <laughs> well, I have a prejudice, which I'm sure you have too. We, uh, well, I imagine you do, of those uh, cushioned mums at the grocery store. And right. When I see yeah. them, I think, oh, my gosh, it's winter and it's all over. And But <laughs> in my own garden, I've got Korean chrysanthemums that are just beautiful and I don't pinch them and they're sort of they're a little floppy but the colors are pretty and they're daisies and they're soft and it's wonderful to see something then and then I see right. those cushion mums which I, I, I feel like kicking them when I see them <laughs> <laughs> well yeah they're such little like tight basketballs you know they're they're completely spherical yeah. um, and you know I spent some time in Japan and they're you know, chrysanthemums are high art. You know, right. there's so many colors, and the, you know, they 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 prune them so you know one plant produces three flowers, but they're huge, and um, there's so many forms. And then you know, I come back to the states, and it's like, this is all we got are these little cushion mums. Um, but what I found out is um, a guy named Neil Anderson at Minnesota University of Minnesota has been breeding fully winter hardy because he's like what zone four or something. Mm -hmm mums that bring in some of those colors and the other forms that we associate that you know you see in you know chinese and japanese gardens um so i'm growing for the first year of my garden this year so i just have little plants and i'm just waiting for them to flower but the images i've seen are beautiful and such an exciting you know way to end this gardening season on a high note rather than on those little blobs <laughs> that we see <laughs> at the grocery store or wherever when the, the mums come out um uh, so they're really fun, um, and there's a place that's, for a while it was hard to to get them, and then there's a place, I think they're called, the website is Mums of Minnesota, where you can mail order them retail of all these different varieties, of fully winter hardy, and a bunch of cool forms and colors and everything, so. Well, we're going to put a link at least to your blog, because your okay. blog is exciting, and you write oh, about yeah. all the things that we've been talking about, and more, Green Sparrow Garden, so we're going to put a link on the Ken Drews Real Dirt website, kendrews.com, and people can go and, well, they can see you, and they can <laughs> go and read about what you're working on. So you told me about the mums, and what are some of the other things that are exciting you? Well, the other thing that I'm excited about in terms of food, because we talked about the green coriander, um, or the green salon, yeah, green coriander seed, is um, this kale that I've been growing from a company called Adaptive Seeds that is so much fun. It's the name is um, Gulag Stars, which I just love that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when people are willing to give plant names that are a little silly and not. Yeah, good. I think you better work on that red petunia. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but it's actually a hybrid between two different species of brassica, um, and one of them is is a, one of the mustards, and it's so it's like a 
it's like a kale mustard green hybrid. So it's very kale like, but it has a hint of that spicy kind of mustardy mm-hmm. flavor to it. And it's like my favorite green in the garden. And they've been super tough. You know, I planted them in the spring and, you know, with this heat and everything, they haven't bolted. I've been harvesting them like crazy. Um, and it's one of those things. It's th- This company is kind of fun because, again, they're not like finished varieties. Like we were saying with the petunias, it's not like it's stable and you plant the seeds and everything looks the same. It's it's basically this mass genetic hodgepodge, which <laughs> I I love because that's kind of my thing. Um, so every plant's different and they're beautiful colors of the leaves and serrations and reds and greens. Um, and, of course, now I get the fun, which, you know, I like is – I'm looking at all of them and tasting them all and deciding which ones I like best. And I'm going to save the one, my favorites for seed next year so I can have more of the ones that I like the best. But it's, if, if they bolt. <laughs> if they bolt. I think, I think I might have to overwinter them. And I don't know if they'll survive the winter because I think they're going to require um, fertilization, you know, the cold winter to actually go to seed, which oh. is good for harvesting the leaves. Yeah. But might be difficult for harvesting seeds. So. I don't know if they're going to be hardy or not, so I might have to like dig them up and put them in the refrigerator. I don't know. <laughs> I'll play with them this fall. Well, it's great to speak with you again and to hear what you're working on. And I, I should check in with you more often because you always are a delight. And well, thank you. Thank you again for joining me on Kendrew's Real Dirt, and uh, bye for now. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. It's easy to get me excited. I'm excited about all the things I hear about in the garden. And hearing about new things, well, you know, sometimes I don't think we need new things, but to hear about a shiny red petunia that's pollinated by hummingbirds, to hear about a new use for cilantro, instead of pulling the plant out after it bolts, to eat the fruits with their seeds, their crunchy little seeds. And I think that's a, it's a great idea. I can't wait. I wish I hadn't pulled mine out. (laughs) Next year, maybe. Well, maybe I can buy some plants at the store and plant them and let them bolt. It's a funny even thing to think about because I'm always desperate when it's so hot. And I shouldn't really talk about the weather because, uh, you know, if we want to run this show again sometime and it's not so hot, but it's been beastly hot again this summer. July has been un really unbearable. It's been impossible to go out and weed, and the weeds are loving it. They are huge. It's been a great year for garden plants, a great year for weeds, a great year for insects. Uh, Really, the garden plants have been spectacular. A lot of plants have flowered like they've never flowered before, and, and last year was a terrible summer. I think some of them may think that they, this is their last chance to make fruit and set seed, and they're just blossoming their heads off, something like the Cornuscusa wolf eyes, which in the past has had about four flowers. This year it was covered with flowers. And everything is lush and gorgeous. Some things are falling over, as they do when we have a season with early rains and not quite enough sun, but mostly things look great. I just have to get out there and get rid of some of those things that I don't want and some of the invasive exotic plants, like the Japanese stiltgrass that have become so terrible. If only we had a couple of cool days, I, I could clean up a whole lot. I can sometimes really get in there and at least make it look better if I don't uh, make it really better. The lawn, the lawn, the little bits of lawn that I have are, oh, I don't know, it's four inches tall at least. 
and there's a piece of lawn that I just never really got to, and then it, it rained, or it was 98 degrees, and that that lawn is, I, it's hopeless. I, I don't have the right machinery. I need some kind of brush hog or something to get in there and, and cut down those weeds, or even to find the path. I don't know what happened to the path, but I will do it. I always do. I'll, I'll spray myself with the latest insect repellent, the latest herbal insect repellent that doesn't work, and try that out, and uh, put on my sweatband and a shirt I can sacrifice, and just give in. Drink lots of water and go out there and have at it. Or maybe I'll just sit back and read in a nice comfortable chair with some nice cool iced tea, cold iced tea with ice. Well, we'll see what happens. Whatever happens, I'll be here again next week, most likely with another guest. So please tune in again to Ken Drew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show. I'm so glad that you have. I'm glad to have you every week. And uh, we'll talk again. Bye for now.